you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. We are continuing our series called Redefined. I love this series, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We are taking 16 weeks. I think it's the longest series uh, that we've had so far just to focus on the sermon that Jesus gave on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. And just to put this message or this sermon that Jesus gave in perspective, I'd like us to fast forward to the very last thing that Jesus said in the book of Matthew. And so we'll put that up on the screen. Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I wanted to highlight this as we consider this 16-week series because it's important for us to keep in mind the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is this. Out of the kingdom of man, God is developing a kingdom for himself. And you've heard me say that before, and I don't mind repeating it. Repetition is the key to learning. Out of the kingdom of man, God is developing a kingdom for himself. And he wants us to be a part of it. And he even told us how to do that. And he said it right here in this passage. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And then he also showed us how to do that. He He demonstrated that in his life. And we're going to just take some broad strokes to look at Jesus' life. We're not going to narrow down to a specific verse or a specific word and, you know, unpack it in the Greek and all of that. This is going to be like a flyover at 10,000 feet of the life of Jesus. So it's the bird's eye view. And here, here are four things that Jesus did in showing us how to make disciples. Number one, he engaged our world. Jesus engaged people. God came down to earth to be with us and engage us here in real time. He also established his disciples. That was a three-year process that he went through with them, living with them, teaching with them, eat, breathe, and sleep the kingdom of God with them. And then he equipped them for ministry. Man, were they so excited when they began to get some ministry tools to make a difference in the world around them. And then lastly, he empowered them to go and make disciples. That's what he did at the very end when we read that verse. He said, go. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, he said, I'm the boss. Let's just settle that. All authority has been given to me. Now, under my authority, he says, go. And he empowered them, go and make disciples. And that's the great command, the great commission. So he engaged, he established, he equipped and he empowered. I want to say that today's message is different. This isn't a typical sermon like I gave last week. Today is more of an orientation about the principles and the methods behind our vision. Our vision is to make disciples in Micronesia and beyond, to honor God and make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. But, you know, the question is, how do we do that? How do we all get on the same page? Because there's lots of ways you could do that. I mean, I love Christian radio, but that's not what God has called us to do. Uh, There are some people uh, like 
um, our brother, uh, where is he, Anthony Fruget, he got up here last week and he shared about the Gideons and they pass out Bibles. They get a Bible in every hotel room. I appreciate that. You know, to as many campuses and as many students as they can, but that's not necessarily what God has called us to. I love uh, some of this special programming that we have on the radio, like Focus on the Family or Focusing on Marriage Ministry or there's, um, you know, financial tools in the kingdom of God. There are ministries that focus specifically on that. But we need to be clear about what is it that we do? What are our principles and what are the distinctives that describe life in the sun, that describe the broader family of every nation? How do we do discipleship? Nothing wrong with shortwave radio and broadcasting into China and parts of the Middle East. I mean, I'd love to be a part of that and maybe even get a program from Life in the Sun that goes abroad. Um, That would be cool. But we're not here to invest and buy property and build radio antenna and make that our main ministry. We can work together, and I love it the way the body of Christ is cross-pollinating in the world today. It's so enriching. And we are are very, very blessed. I think the church today um, just has so much to be thankful for and so much potential to maximize in our unity and in our vision to honor God and make disciples. But how exactly do we do that? Well, the, de- the, the disciples, they followed Jesus' example. And they turned their world upside down. It was phenomenal. But then a change took place. And in that change... If you know some of your old history, Rome adopted Christianity as the official state religion. And instead of this organism, this organic process, this movement, this relational thing that was all about a relationship with God and loving God and loving people, the church became institutionalized. And then leaders in the church became this formal position. And they began to develop liturgy or ritual and became kind of the predominant theme within the church. The good news is that regardless of how mankind can try and get their fingers in God's kingdom, God always retains a remnant. There's always a root that stays pure and has followed through the centuries in this vision to develop God's kingdom by faith, And the hallmark is love and honor. And it's all through relationship, which is discipleship. And so that's always been there through history. Even in the Old Testament, whenever God's people got taken into captivity, God always retained a remnant that was true and pure in their heart to him. And that's been true all through the Old Testament, beyond the New Testament, even into modern day. But I have to say that in my observation And from my vantage point in looking at church history, it seems to me that in the last 60 years, there has been a broader awakening of what the church is really supposed to be all about. No, not liturgy, not religious, but relationship. And allowing that to translate not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with people. There's been a broader awakening... and a spreading of God's original design. Now, by original design, I don't mean a church structure. Uh, The church is not a building. 
The church is not an organization. The church is people. The church is the people of God. And the, rest, and the restoration that I'm referring to is the idea that every member, every one of you, is a minister. Everyone is a minister. All of us have a role to play in God's kingdom. It's important to clarify our roles. It's important to clarify your role and to clarify my role. And the Apostle Paul did that in Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, part of the restoration of the church has been, has been a result of an understanding of this particular passage. Paul said, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, take a look at that verse for a moment. And I have a question for you. As God's people, you receive, you receive equipping to do what? To do his work. You receive equipping to do his work. Now, in order to do God's work, there are three myths that we need to talk about. Because of all of this church history that I talk about that's behind us, there have been some ideas and beliefs that have developed which should not be there. So we're going to talk about three myths. Number one is the mentoring myth. And that is my pastor's primary role is to minister to me. The truth is my pastor's primary role is to equip me to minister. Now I have to say that I think in our church uh, we kind of have a healthy perspective on this. Um, I have seen some churches where the pastor does everything from repairs and maintenance to praying for the food. I mean, it's like the event cannot even begin unless the pastor prays, okay? But I am glad we have lots of people in this church who take the initiative in praying. Uh, They take the initiative in sharing their faith. Many of you are involved, actively involved in your small groups. Many of you are leading in your small groups. Many of you are training people in your small groups to facilitate your small groups. It's, it's great. Uh, there are even those here who baptize new believers. I remember a couple years ago when we were in our old location, I showed a picture of a baptism up on the screen. I said, this is an amazing picture. I said, look at that. Everybody just looked at it like, what, what? I said, there is no pastor in that picture. That was a turning point in our church. I began to see life groups across the board, begin to go and have their own barbecue at the beach (laughs) and celebrate somebody's baptism. It's been great. And so I'm, I'm so glad we have a lot of people who do that. So the myth, I'll go back to the first one. The myth is, you know, my pastor's role is to minister to me, but the truth is uh, my pastor's role is to equip me to minister. The second myth is the maturity myth. And that is, no one should minister until he or she is ready. But the truth is, we will only mature as we minister. So earlier, Van was calling out the Root family. They're sitting over there. Does Ryan happen to be here today? Ryan, would you mind standing? Just, just a sec. Say hi to everybody. Everybody say hi to Ryan. Okay, stay standing for a moment. I just want you to guess how old he is. Okay, Ryan, you can have a seat. How old do you think Ryan is? (laughs) 
Ryan, how old are you? Ryan is 16 years old. So we were at a life group meeting, and this life group meeting is filled with all kinds of people with potential. But I said, hey, Ryan, would you be willing to do the icebreaker? And he was, yeah, I'm, I'm game. And so we talked about it and uh, kind of ran him through the ropes of what it was going to look like, what we were going to do. Now, this life group, I'm just going to tell on them, they are loud, <laughs> and they like to party and have food and eat, and trying to herd them is like herding a bunch of cats. <laughs> okay, so Ryan is trying to get their attention, and nobody's listening. <laughs> I mean, they got people in the back of the room. Some are over in the dining room around the corner. And so he's trying to figure out what to do. All of a sudden, he stands up on a chair, and he cups his hands. And he goes, everybody! And he starts facilitating. I thought, man, that's the kind of on-the-job training that you don't get in a classroom. I mean, they might talk about icebreakers, but when you have to do it, it could be a whole different story. And so, you know, the maturity myth is, you know, everybody should minister when he or she is ready. But the truth is, you get ready by doing. The third myth is the ministry myth. And that is, I'm not ready to be used by God. But the truth is, God is ready to use you. And so we were at another life group meeting, and I scanned the room, and the room again had all these people with great potential, people who are seasoned in life, people who are owners of businesses and homeowners and mature and older. And I'll just give you a little insight into how I let God use me to help other people grow. But sometimes I'll just scan the room. And I'll just kind of let the Spirit help bring my attention to somebody who's like the person for the moment. So I scanned the room, and there sitting was Jerwin. And I, I just sensed, and I said, Jerwin, would you close us in prayer? And he said this heartfelt, meaningful prayer that I think touched people's hearts in that moment. And Jerwin's a college student amidst adults who are way older and more accomplished just because they've had a head start. And so we might think, you know, I'm not ready to be used by God, but God can use anybody. I remember when I was a younger pastor 25 years ago, there was a guy in our church, he was homeless, and he was a mental health patient. And one day, he began to talk to me on the topic of love, and the Holy Spirit was using him to speak to my heart. Now, I didn't say it out loud, but I remember in my mind thinking, you can't speak to me. I'm the pastor, and you're in this social economic situation. And you know, I had a problem with my pride. I was like, I thought I should minister to him. I wasn't in that place of being able to receive. I had pride, but I also believed in these myths. I thought, you know, you can't minister unless you're ready. But God is ready to use you, and he can even use a donkey if he wants, like he did in the Old Testament. You may feel like you're not ready to be used by God, but I can tell you God is ready to use you. In our family, many times, God used our kids to speak to us. Uh, Maybe they didn't feel like they were ready to be used by God, but he was ready to use them, and he was using them anyway, whether they knew it or not. So like I said, today's message is not so much 
a sermon, but it's more an orientation about the principles and the methods of how it is that we make disciples. And so on your chair, you'll notice there's these little brochures. We put one on every other chair. And uh, if you don't have one next to you, maybe look in the row in front of you. There are some extras there. And uh, if you want to take a couple of them, you're welcome to do that. But we're going to go ahead and pop the main part of your brochure up on the screen. We call these the four E's. And these summarize everything that I said Jesus did. When we took that flyover of Jesus' life at 10,000 feet, the bird's eye view, to look at his, his life and his ministry, these are the four things that Jesus did. He engaged us. He engaged people. He engaged the culture. And then he established his disciples, and he equipped them for ministry, and then he empowered them and said, go. So I want to go through these one by one. Uh, one of the best things that we can do in engaging people is to go and be a part of their world. I think one of the common mistakes, and it's just innocent, we mean well, but sometimes we don't realize that we have to build bridges for people to get into the kingdom of God. But sometimes we kind of skip the bridge, and instead of going and building relationship, doing bridge building, uh, we kind of skip a process, and we just invite people to come to church. Almost cold turkey. Or we invite them to come to life group when they may not be ready for that yet. I remember when I first became a Christian, I didn't go to a church for two years. It was two years before I stepped foot into a church. Just because God had to do some work in my heart and in my circumstances to get me to that place. And there are many people who are like where I was. And so one of the best things that we can do is we, we can go into their world. Be a part of their life. Go to their birthday party. Uh, talk about what God did in your life at work. Um, just be a part of you know, what they're all about and connect with them and build relationship. That's what it means to go. You know, sometimes we think going is like across the ocean to Africa. Going could be just across the office or across your yard or across the street. And so whether it's across the ocean or across the street, God wants us to go and engage the people around us and the culture around us. And then when they're ready, one of the, one of the great ways to help people connect is to invite them to a small group gathering where it's informal, we're having food, you know, we're sharing with just a small group of people. And uh, that can be a, maybe a little less intimidating to something that might be foreign to them. So, engage. Uh, the next thing is to establish new believers. And by that, we mean uh, people need to get established first and foremost in their relationship with God. I find that a lot of people, they've opened their life to God. They're, they are open sincerely. They've even made a formal decision, a conscious choice to invite him into their life. They just don't know for sure that he answered that prayer. They don't know that as a result of their decision and a result of expressing their heart and their decision to God, that he actually answered their prayer and came into their life. And sometimes they just need an older Christian, an older brother or sister to come alongside them and talk about this relationship and how that happens and, and you know, talk about God being a trustworthy person and how it's his will to have relationship with you. And he, and he loves you. And if you ask him that he'll respond and, and to help them get into a place of assurance in their heart where they know 
They know that they know. They're confident that, yes, God is in my life. And so we want to establish them in their relationship with God. And then next, you want to establish them in other things like getting into the Bible. I remember the first time I got a Bible, I didn't even know the difference between Old and New Testament. The guy discipling me, he took a highlighter and he drew on the side of the pages and he said, okay, this is the Old Testament and this is the New Testament. And then we just read through the table of contents. And I just trying to learn to pronounce the words. You know, what is this job? And so, you know, people just need to be oriented and, and brought into and help them to understand and, and show them some of the key verses and, and help them become familiar with key things in the kingdom of God that will benefit them in their relationship with him. And then thirdly, Jesus equipped his disciples. And so equipping can be very simple. It could be just learning how to clarify what is your personal story with God. We call it the two-minute miracle. You know, just in two minutes, can you share the miracle that God did in your life? And so that can be a, a tool that can equip somebody. Uh, another one is what I shared earlier with uh, Ryan and with Jerwin, uh, just giving them opportunity to be able to facilitate uh, parts of a small group meeting and getting equipped that way through experience. And then lastly, Jesus empowered his disciples. Now, I want to say that these are not sequential steps that have to be done in order. It's not like you complete step one, okay, I'm done with that, now I go to step two. These are more like ingredients. And you put all of these together, and they don't ever stop. They just continue throughout life. We're always getting equipped. We're always getting empowered. We're always engaging. We're always being more established deeper and deeper in our heart with God. So all of these continue to happen at the same time. Now, this fourth one, where it talks about empowering, um, there are many in this church who are seasoned. Uh, there are people who have been here for years. And many have gone through our Every Nation Leadership Institute. Great curriculum, two-year curriculum. Um, many have graduated from that. And, um, and we are in the process of developing um, an upgraded version. It's called Leadership 215. That's in your brochure. But I want to talk about some principles in developing the leaders, and this is all part of empowering. Number one is identification. Uh, We need to identify um, who God is inviting to join him and be a part of ministry. Now, that's different from sensing that God is trying to get your attention and developing your relationship with him. Now, there is a point at which there is an early stages of your relationship with God. There's, there's a season where you do that, where, um, you know, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's just, wow, coming into God's kingdom and experiencing him, it's a whole new world. But there is a point after you get established where you sense that God is saying, okay, now I want you to go and share that with other people. First time that happened to me, I was on the East Coast. I was in New Jersey in a town called Wildwood. It was a party town in the summertime for high school graduates and college students and just parties and drugs and nightlife, carnival all through 24-7. And there was a boardwalk that was like two miles long and just people everywhere. You could go and talk to people about spiritual things just um, at liberty. And I remember after talking with people week after week after week all summer long, I got shell-shocked because 
I was experiencing so much um, people who were depressed, people who didn't have purpose. I'd go, hey, man, what are you doing here? I don't know, man. I'm just waiting for the next party, you know? (laughs) And just person after person like that. And all of a sudden, it got me depressed. And at one point, I just, I didn't want it anymore. I was like, I'm tired of this. And so I went for a walk on the beach. And the beach in Wildwood, New Jersey is not like a beach on Guam. The beach on Guam is probably maybe the width of this room, just the sandy area. But in New Jersey, it's a half mile to get to the water, and it's all sand. It's like you're walking in the desert to get out to the ocean. So I walk all the way out there. I hit the water, and then I start to turn and walk along the water's edge. I'm just walking out there for like a half hour in the dark. Nobody out there, nothing, no lights. And uh, the moon is shining, and the water's calm, and I'm looking out at the ocean and the moon the whole time for 30 minutes, and the one moment that I turn and I look toward the sand, somebody had drawn this huge cross. It's probably 25 feet big. And I just knew I was supposed to park myself there. So I took my towel, I laid out on the sand, and I just looked up at the stars, and I just began to cry. And tears just running down the side. I said, Lord, I'm just tired. I said, I just want to go be with you. And uh, he spoke to me in my heart. And he said, Mark, I want you to sit up. I said, turn around and look. And back there, a half mile away, is the boardwalk with thousands of peoples and lights. And he said, you see all those people? I said, yeah. He said, I want you to go and talk to them about me. And all of a sudden, just something changed in my heart. And I said, okay, Lord. And that was the beginning of God saying, I want you to go. And every one of us, um, at one point or another, will come into an experience where God speaks to you somehow. It might be through a Bible verse or through another Christian or through a circumstance. But there's a sense at which you feel like God is inviting you to join him and be a part of what he's doing. And that's, that's the calling. That's identifying who are the people. You know, every morning at 9.38, I have my timer on my watch. It goes off, sets off a little alarm. Matthew 9.38, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. And so every morning at 9.38, I pray about that prayer request. And I believe God, God is raising up people. He is. He's faithful to do that. It's his heart. It's his will. It's his, it's his kingdom. And so um, there is a point at which God does that. And, of course, it's, it's up to us as other brothers and sisters to be able to recognize that in somebody, that God is working in their heart and inviting them to be a part of what he's doing. That's the identification. It has to do with the whole of their life. What is their whole life purpose? The next part, after identification, also in order to... Um, kind of understand who is being called. There, there are several qualities. We use the acronym FAITH to be able to um, identify who it is that God's calling. So FAITH, F stands for faithful. A is available. I is involved. Some people are available but not involved. Uh, also need to be teachable. That kind of goes along with being humble. Um, and the last one is hungry. They want more. And so if a person exhibits these qualities, then you know that God is at work in them because somebody's not going to want to pursue God's kingdom unless God's at work that way, amen?
So then the next one, these are the four I's. We covered the four E's. We'll go to the next slide. Oh, and, and they can be, the people that God has called, they can be anybody. It could be a male. Just flip through the next one. Female. Could be a family. Could be an islander. Could be a city guy. That's a New York hat. Um, all blacks. Could be a Kiwi. Japanese. Who's this guy? <laughs> yes, Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> Next one. Could be Chinese, Oriental. I mean, all kinds of people. That got, don't underestimate what God is doing. When, when the Lord first began to work in my life, I had an afro out to here. I wore tank tops. I rode a motorcycle. And I remember uh, the guy who's discipling me, his name is Don. And he would tell Steve to pray for me. Steve was his discipler. And so Steve was hearing about me through Don. But the first time Steve met me, he looked at me. He goes, that's the guy? Yeah, that's the guy. And so don't underestimate what God is doing in somebody's life. Don't go by looks. They could, they could look like anything. <laughs> but after identifying, then the next thing is instruction. There needs to be formal instruction to help equip people. And so in our church in January, we're beginning a new curriculum for leaders that, and potential leaders who have not been through the old Every Nation Leadership Institute We're implementing uh, Leadership 215. It's going to meet on Tuesday nights starting in January, and it's a two-year curriculum. And it's going to be amazing. It includes practicum and opportunities to be able to to use what you're learning and to be able to develop ministry. I I can tell you how fruitful this is. Um, I was looking at the list of all the ENLI graduates for the last 15 years. 10, 15 years, the long list. Every single one of them are leaders in our church. That's the difference that um, instruction can make when you get people into the word of God to mature them. The next one is impartation. Now, impartation is different. Impartation doesn't happen through reading books. It doesn't happen through classroom instruction. Um, it's not something, it's not a lesson. It's about relationship. It's in relationship that values and convictions and even spiritual gifts can get passed on. It's where people can catch vision. It's where they can uh, get what's inside that's life-giving in you, and that can be passed on to somebody else. That only happens through relationship, impartation. And then lastly is internship. It's the idea that I do and you watch, and then you do and I watch. And... You know, like I mentioned with Ryan and Jerwin, you you learn by doing. So I want to summarize all of these. We'll go to the next slide. And just notice the different arrows and the circles. Identification has to do with your overall life. What is your purpose? What is your calling? Instruction has to do with the mind. We're spirit, soul, and body. There are different aspects of us that need to be addressed. Impartation has to do with the heart. That's where the values and the convictions and the priorities are. And then internship is about doing, represented by the hands and the feet. And so all of these put together make up the principles and the methods that we use to make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. Amen? So I just want to go back to this one. All of that we just looked at, the four I's, um, identification, instruction, impartation, and internship, all of that kind of goes in the red zone where it says empower. So that you understand how it all fits together. 
The simple thing, if you take nothing away today, just remember the four E's. They are engage, establish, equip, and empower. Next week, you'll have a pop quiz. (laughs) No, just kidding. And so, uh, like I said, today is not your typical message. It's more of an orientation to the principles and the methods behind what we do. It's important for us to all be on the same page. And so that's why we gave you a brochure that you can take with you and have it as a reminder and a leaving piece and be able to refer to that as needed. Sound good? Okay, let's pray. For free. So just come on over here. You can get one. And so the idea is this. This week, I want to invite you to take the book one-to-one and practice or maybe not even practice, go through it with somebody and just discuss the questions at the end of each chapter. Take 30 minutes or an hour to take some time to become familiar with the booklet one-to-one and help somebody else become familiar with their relationship with God and to grow in it. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for his amazing life that was so rich and full and so much for us to apply as we follow in his footsteps. God, I ask that you would enable us by your spirit to have your heart and mind as we follow you to represent you well. Father, would you teach us your ways? And if you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to invite you to take some time alone with God and just ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me? What is it that you want me to take away? What is it that I need to apply? And if you would take a moment just to ask the Lord to impress upon you what that is. Father, you see each one of us here and you know what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're sensing from you. God, I thank you that you're with us, that you're a work in us and through us. Lord, I just bless what you're doing in your people here today. I ask that your Holy Spirit would seal it and that you would complete it and that you would encourage and equip and empower each person for whatever assignment it is that you're impressing on their mind and heart. Lord, I ask that by your grace, by our faith, by your enabling, that you would bring it to pass, whatever it is that you've laid on our heart. And if you would continue to pray, I want to address another group here this morning. There may be some of you who, as you're listening to me talk about a relationship with God, this is an area that uh, has caught your attention. You feel like God has been getting your attention recently. And today you're here because of that. And you're realizing that this is an area that you want to develop. And if that describes you, I want to give you an opportunity to 
be able to express your desire, your response to God. We'll just do that through a simple prayer. I'll pray out loud. You can hitchhike on my words. God will hear you. And so if you've never made a formal decision to invite God into your life, if you've not made a conscious choice, and you'd like to do that, then I want to give you an opportunity to pray along with me. Before we pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with. And so if that describes you, if, if you would simply look up and raise your hand and my eyes meet yours, I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that's you, go ahead and look up and raise your hand and then we'll pray together in a moment. Yes, I see you there. Anybody else? Yes, I see you there. Anybody else? Yes, okay. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anyone. Okay, very good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm here today and I'm opening up my life to you. I admit that I need you. Even more than that, I want you. So I'm choosing to accept you into my life. God, I ask that by your spirit you would come into mine and that you would begin to reveal yourself to me. Father, you know the things I've done. I ask you to forgive me. Things that have been hurtful. Things I'm not proud of. God, I ask that you would wash away guilt, wash away any self-condemnation. I just choose to receive your forgiveness here and now. And if you're praying this prayer, just want to encourage you to receive his spirit of forgiveness and his spirit of love. It is for you for this moment. Just go ahead and receive it. While you're doing that, I invite the worship team to come on up. Father, I thank you for each person here that is coming to you. And I ask God that you would make yourself real, that you would reveal your presence to them in a way that is understood, perceived, received, and felt. Father, I thank you for coming into my life. I thank you for Jesus and what he did. And I accept him into my life, and I ask that you would change me and make me the kind of person you want me to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.